Dictate to speak pad. Dictate to speak pad. Well, in this first module, we're going to look at anthropology as a discipline and take an overall approach to anthropology as an interdisciplinary and biocultural science. We'll start off with some general concerns about what is anthropology and look at how anthropology studies humans and cultures. We'll also look at the various approaches of anthropology and in particular emphasize anthropology's comparative method as a tool for understanding both what humans share with other animals as well as what's unique about humans and human nature. In our approach to understanding humans and culture, we will provide an overview of what's called the four-field approach of anthropology that encompasses not only cultural anthropology, but linguistics, archaeology, and the biological and physical approaches to studying human beings. We'll also add into this a consideration of the applied approach of anthropology, where the knowledge that anthropologists acquire through their studies of humans and cultures are then used to solve human problems and to find ways to address difficulties and differences between humans and human groups based upon an understanding of human culture and human nature. We'll also provide a brief introduction to anthropological methods. How is it that anthropologists study human beings and culture? And we'll see that these perspectives allow us to both understand what is unique or particular to humans and their specific cultures, as well as what is common to human beings. What are the universals of human nature? And this first module will wrap up with a consideration of what are the benefits of the anthropological perspectives? How does anthropology enable us to understand human beings in a way that's more holistic than the perspectives taken by many other disciplines? So what is anthropology? If we take a linguistic approach to it, anthro means man or human, and logos refers to speech, to discourse, to an account, or to a study of. So in essence, anthropology is discourse about, or the study of human beings. In practicality, anthropologists both study humans in their particular and individual manifestations, as well as the groups that human beings create, groups that we refer to as cultures and societies. One of the things that is characteristic of anthropology's approach to understanding humans and their cultures is that it combines both the biological sciences, the physical sciences, along with the cultural or humanistic sciences. So in essence, anthropology is at its core, at its foundation, an interdisciplinary approach to the study of human beings. Uh, so much so that anthropologists might be able to get their research funded by the National Science Foundation or by the National Endowment for the Humanities. So it's both the understanding of humans as physical and biological entities and an understanding of humans as cultural symbolic entities that characterizes anthropology. In addition to this fundamental focus on the biological and cultural dimensions, anthropology is also an interdisciplinary science in the sense that it looks at humans from the perspectives of not only anthropology, but the many other disciplines of science as well. So we'll see that there are many interdisciplinary foci of anthropology, things such as 
medical anthropology or psychological anthropology and other fields that we'll elaborate upon. When we look at anthropology as a field as a whole, it's concerned with a number of different aspects of understanding human beings. The biological aspects of anthropology provide us with tools for understanding human emergence. How did humans emerge out of less complex animals? And how did that process produce what are the unique qualities of human beings? In essence, one of the questions that anthropologists ask is, what is human nature? And in particular, human nature that distinguishes us from other animals. The aspects of cultural anthropology focus on questions of what are cultures like? What is a specific culture like? And describes the culture in terms of the many aspects of their behavior. Cultural anthropologists also analyze and explain cultural patterns, in essence, trying to provide some understanding about the similarities and differences that exist between cultures in different parts of the world. And one of the perspectives that has characterized anthropology is examining cultures in terms of environmental adaptations. How, for instance, do cultures that exist in deserts differ from cultures that exist in tropical rainforests? And what are the specific adaptations that cultures are likely to make to extreme environments, like being in the tundra or being at the tops of mountains? So we not only try to understand what's common and universal to humans, we also try to understand what are the factors that produce differences among human beings. And one of those perspectives that we take is focused on the symbols, the meanings that cultures have. How do they represent the world? How do they understand themselves and others? What is core to anthropology is this concept of culture. And we will elaborate upon this concept in a number of lectures. As an initial approach, we can see culture as being the shared beliefs, behaviors, values, artifacts, and other kinds of activities and objects associated with human groups. We can think of culture as representing something like the typical characteristics of a group. Anthropologists have long discussed many definitions of culture, but most would agree that we understand culture as having four major features. That is to say, culture is some kind of shared behavior, behavior shared by members of a group. These common patterns of behavior are based upon transmission through learning. That in essence, we learn culture from others. The classic definitions have emphasized that what is culture is, in essence, intergenerational. It's transmitted from one group of people to their descendants. And definitions of culture have emphasized the notion that culture is an adaptation. It's a set of practices that humans have in order to adjust to their environments and to one another. So all of these aspects of culture are generally considered to be uniquely human characteristics. While we can point to group habits and learn patterns of behavior in some other animals, by and large, it is humans that have dominated the concept of culture in terms of their behavior. And no other animal has anything near the extent of learned behavior as that which is characteristic of human beings. Anthropology uses comparative perspectives to understand humans and their uniqueness, as well as comparative perspectives to understand humans and their differences among one another. 
One of the initial foci of this comparative approach is on different life forms. How is it that human beings differ from other animals? In essence, if we want to have some understanding of the unique qualities that human beings have, we by necessity must study other animals and compare humans to other animals to see what those differences are. Another comparative approach that typifies anthropology is a temporal approach, one that looks at human beings across enormous time spans. So we understand something about human nature not only from an evolutionary perspective, but from the perspectives of prehistorical development of human groups. And these provide us with a baseline for understanding some of the dramatic differences that have occurred in human societies in the last 4,000 or 12,000 years. While we often think of anthropology as a study of the past, one of the other characteristics of anthropology is that it provides a framework, a baseline from which to study the future. In essence, by knowing what have been the past patterns, the trajectories of human development, and the different options or possibilities that humans have explored, we have some sense of what are likely to be our future scenarios. One particular aspect of anthropology focuses on different human populations and tries to understand what are the bases for the differences that we find between cultures, as well as the similarities that we find between cultures in diverse parts of the world. It's by this cross-cultural perspective that we not only can identify universals, but begin to identify what features in human social life are responsible for other aspects of culture and cultural differences. One of the primary foci that anthropology takes is by examining groups in different ecological settings, in different environments, and looking at how the environment places constraints on what human beings do, and how cultures can be viewed as an adaptation to those constraints produced by the ecological and environmental circumstances. The classic approach to anthropology in terms of understanding its internal differences have been twofold. One that characterizes anthropology as a biocultural science, concerned with biology on one hand and culture or learned behavior on the other. Anthropology has also been characterized as a four-field discipline, which is to say that there are four major fields of anthropological inquiry. One of these, biological or physical anthropology, uh, is concerned with human evolution and human biology. Cultural anthropology embodies both ethnography, the study of specific cultures, as well as ethnology, methods used to derive understandings of human universals by cross-cultural studies and understanding human differences by identifying which features may cause particular uh, dynamics or configurations of culture. Two other aspects of this four-field approach are linguistics, or the study of language, and archaeology, which is the study of human cultures in the past. Archaeology is sometimes confused with paleontology, the study of human evolution, but it differs in that archaeology is concerned with modern human beings who have lived in the past, and we study them through their material remains, and other evidence of their behavioral impact on the environment. 
in addition to this four-field approach, anthropology has uh, developed a new set of foci, particularly in the last several decades, that are known as applied anthropology. Some people would contend that applied anthropology, using cultural knowledge to solve human problems, is a fifth field. Others would point out that applied anthropology involves one of these other fields as well. In the case of biological anthropology, it may involve something like forensic anthropology. In the case of cultural anthropology, it might involve something like economic anthropology or developmental anthropology. In the case of linguistic anthropology, it might involve projects uh, designed to help resuscitate dying cultures or to reestablish lost languages uh, in contemporary populations. And even archaeology may have an applied dimension. For instance, archaeologists may study people's garbage in order to understand patterns of contemporary human behavior. And we might also place cultural resource management, curation, management of museums and artifact collections within the dimensions of applied uh, archaeology. In addition to these four major subfields of anthropology and their interdisciplinary uh, aspects, we will also look at a variety of subdisciplinary areas within anthropology that help us understand something about the way in which anthropology has developed as a holistic science. But first, we'll look at each of these four fields in a little more detail. Physical or biological anthropology is largely concerned with human evolution. Paleontology or paleoanthropology is a focus on the specific ways in which humans have emerged from other forms of primates. What this provides is an understanding of what were the aspects of human evolution in their emergence from simpler life forms. Biological anthropology also studies contemporary human populations and tries to understand something about variation in the human species. One of the perspectives that physical anthropologists require is how do humans compare to other animals? And so ethology, the study of animal behavior, is a significant aspect of physical anthropology. One, a more specific aspect of uh, ethology is primatology, understanding primates, the closest mammalian relatives of the human species. In studying contemporary human populations, biological anthropologists ask questions about what is the nature of human variation? And one of the pressing issues that biological anthropology helps provide answers to are questions about human differences. What are the differences between races? Why are different races part of the human species? Biological anthropology brings what to many may seem to be a surprising response, namely that races are cultural beliefs. Races are a function of how cultures have come to view the world rather than anything intrinsically biologically different about these so-called racial groups. Now, this is not to say that there is no variation in human biology. Indeed, one of the well-recognized aspects of this includes lactose intolerance. Do you have a gene that allows you to digest milk as an adult? Do you produce lactase? This genetic characteristic is differentially distributed across human groups. 
In some groups, virtually everybody has it. In others, only a small percentage of the population does. But this is a good example of why biology does not help us understand races. In no so-called racial group does everybody have lactase, and in no racial group does everybody suffer from lactose intolerance. That, as well as other genetic features, such as sickle cell anemia, may be more prevalent in some groups than others, but they're not genetic features that define unique human groups that everybody has a specific uh, gene that's only found in their group. In recent decades, understanding human genetic diversity, as well as similarities and relationships, have been advanced by the Human Genome Project that has attempted to understand a variety of aspects of the human genome and how it varies across populations. And these kinds of projects are providing important insight into human diseases. In our course, we're not going to be concerned with the broad aspects of biological anthropology, but some of the very specific aspects of biological anthropology that enable us to understand something of importance to cultural anthropology. Biological anthropology helps us answer questions such as, what is uniquely human? What is it that distinguishes humans from other animals? As well as answering questions regarding, what do we share with other animals? What is common about human and animal behavior? Biological anthropology is also a framework within which we understand some important questions about why it is that human beings have culture and other animals don't. In essence, we have to accept that humans evolved particular biological capacities that enable them to be a culture-bearing species. That in essence, we will contend that biological evolution provided the basis for culture. Biological anthropology also helps us understand the potential biological determinants or influences on human behavior. What is it that is shaped or framed for human beings as a set of biological possibilities, capacities? And how is it that human culture acts upon those capacities? There's also some emerging areas of biological anthropology that have some very intriguing implications for the study of contemporary culture. One of the things that has evolved within the discipline of physical anthropology and biological anthropology in the last decade or two are areas known as evolutionary psychology. And evolutionary psychology is concerned with how do the psychological capacities of human beings reflect something about our evolved capacities from this long-term existence as a hunter-gatherer species? How did this environment of evolutionary adaptation, acting upon hominids over millions of years, shape particular qualities of the human species? And we'll see that there are a variety of aspects of human life today that may still reflect this evolved psychology. For instance, we know that when you have a K through 12 classroom, if you get much over 35 students, start to get like 40 students, teachers can no longer manage you know, children in grammar school. Why? Well, it turns out that most of human existence was spent in bands that probably averaged about 30 to 40 people. It may well be that our capacity 
to manage human relationships and intimate groups is limited by an evolved psychology that reflected the size of band existence. So there are a variety of ways in which biological anthropology may provide insight into contemporary human dynamics. What the focus of this course will be, however, is on sociocultural anthropology. And there are a number of major dimensions of sociocultural anthropology as a discipline. To some people, social and cultural anthropology are synonyms, different terms for the same thing. Others, however, make a distinction between cultural anthropology and social anthropology. One way of emphasizing these distinctions is in terms of two methodological approaches that anthropologists take. One, called ethnography, is a study of a single specific cultural group and asks questions regarding what are the characteristics of a group? How is it organized? Some people use social anthropology to refer to ethnology, in essence, cross-cultural studies, taking the data from many different ethnographic studies and trying to summarize them in a way that allows us to ask questions about human regularities and the laws of human societies. So social anthropology as ethnology can be seen as an effort to create a science of human society based upon data from cultures around the world. We'll elaborate upon both of these aspects in subsequent aspects of both this lecture and other ones. When we look at the major divisions of sociocultural anthropology, we then have ethnography, the study of one culture, finding out about a group's characteristics. In the United States, linguistic anthropology is considered to be one of the divisions of sociocultural anthropology. It looks at the relationship between language and culture. And of course, language is a particularly important aspect of studying culture because it is the primary medium through which humans communicate about their cultural beliefs and behaviors. In this course, we'll look at some specific aspects of linguistics. Structural linguistics, which is concerned with how is language structured or created. We'll look at historical linguistics. How have languages changed over time? And how does studying the relationship between languages allow us to infer something about the past evolution of human societies? For instance, in historical linguistics, they have identified a language family known as Indo-European. And by studying shared vocabulary of many different Indo-European languages, linguists have concluded that Indo-European languages probably began either in somewhere in northern Turkey or in the steppes of Russia, perhaps as long as 7,000 years ago. A major aspect of anthropology's concerned with linguistics is in terms of sociolinguistics. How does language relate to social behavior? How does language reflect society and culture? And how does language structure social and cultural behaviors? We'll also have an uh, aspect of sociocultural anthropology that's concerned with archaeology, study of the human past. And what makes archaeology cultural anthropology is that it is concerned with the learned patterns of behavior 
characteristic of anatomically modern human beings. Archaeologists, however, focus on humans of the past and lacking the opportunity to talk with them about their culture are forced to look at their artifacts, the physical objects they made, as well as the impact that those past societies had upon the physical environment. The cross-cultural comparative approach Ethnology can also be seen as a major division of sociocultural anthropology. It's a perspective that anthropologists as a whole rely upon, but which most anthropologists don't actively practice. We rely upon this ethnological or comparative approach when we try to make generalizations about human nature. When we speak about the universal characteristics of humans or human cultures, it's based upon an explicit or implicit understanding of the patterns that occur in human societies around the world. One of the important things that this ethnological approach provides is an understanding not only of human regularities, the universals that are manifested cross-culturally, but it also provides a basis from which to understand how are human universals manifested differently in culturally specific ways. So, for instance, we would say that family is a universal of human cultures. Every society has families. But societies have radically different ideas about how families should be organized. And so the ethnological approach is a tool for helping us understand, for instance, what kinds of societies are likely to have nuclear families, and what kinds of societies are likely to have extended families, and what kinds of societies are likely to have conditions that produce a single female head of household families? So the ethnological approach is really an effort to move from the understanding of cultural specifics to understanding something about the universalities of humans and their behavior. In addition to these major areas of sociocultural anthropology, there are a wide variety of subdisciplinary areas that really constitute a kind of interface between sociocultural anthropology and some other discipline. What you will see up here and on the subsequent slides are a number of different subdisciplinary areas of anthropology, which is to say areas in which anthropology interfaces with another discipline such as medicine or psychiatry or psychology or in the cases of ethnobotany and ethnopharmacology, how studies of plant use in other cultures is considered in light of what we know from botany and pharmacology, an area which, for instance, today is generating new medicines. Folklore and mythology, as well as comparative religion, are areas of interdisciplinary study in which anthropologists may also engage with people from other disciplines in order to understand something about the nature of these human productions. Educational anthropology is one of the areas in which anthropologists have had a major impact in terms of applying anthropology in another field. How do you make school systems culturally sensitive? How do you create educational programs that are sensitive to the learning styles that students have acquired at home? Areas such as economic and political anthropology interface anthropology with economics with politics and seeks a interdisciplinary uh, enhancement of our understanding of these particular aspects of human nature. 
Legal anthropology has many dimensions, including applied dimensions, where, for instance, anthropologists may serve as expert witnesses in courtroom settings in order to testify to certain cultural aspects of behavior, or certain patterns of cultural understanding. Kinship studies and family studies are other interdisciplinary areas in which anthropologists not only rely upon knowledge that comes from other disciplines, but may also contribute to those disciplines, in particular enhancing their understandings by bringing a cross-cultural perspective. Anthropologists study art. We have anthropologists in departments that teach ethnomusicology. And we have anthropologists involved in humanistic studies, transpersonal anthropology as well. So a variety of aspects of psychology and anthropology interact, for instance, in transpersonal anthropology. There's also a variety of applications of anthropology that have uh, relatively limited academic aspects and are more concerned with solving real-world problems. Things such as business anthropology, industrial anthropology, corporate anthropology are all aspects of anthropology's engagement with specific other disciplines in order to have a better understanding of how human behavior can be modified. So for instance, today if you read the Wall Street Journal, don't be surprised to read about corporate cultures. And don't be surprised to read time and again that a planned corporate merger was canceled because on closer examination, the principals involved decided that their corporate cultures were too distinct. They were incompatible and that they didn't feel that an effective merger of the two companies could take place given a very different cultural orientation that the two businesses had. So there are many different applied anthropologies. And when you look at anthropology today, there really isn't an area of American cultural life that hasn't had an anthropologist involved. Anthropologists work for GM, they work for Xerox, they work for Wall Street firms, they work in hospitals, they work in educational settings, they work for movie companies, they work in a whole wide variety of context in which knowledge about culture is a significant factor in understanding human behavior. So this area of applied anthropology focused on solving social problems might be seen as a fifth field of anthropology, but can also be seen as a kind of interdisciplinary science in which anthropologists take what they know, interface it with another discipline, and use it to help solve some challenges that human communities face. While applied anthropology is often viewed as a branch of sociocultural anthropology, even biological anthropology has applied anthropology. So the CSI programs have become popular these days, and so has forensic anthropology. We had almost 200 students in the course last semester. People want to know, how do you use anthropology to solve crimes? Less widely known is the role of anthropologists in epidemiology, the study of disease patterns. So the Center for Disease Control and Prevention hires anthropologists to help understand what are the factors that determine the outbreak of diseases. It turns out that it's not just germs. Humans have to do something to get germs. And when they do things, they spread germs as well. So understanding the spread of disease is really a study of human behavior. Evolutionary medicine is another area in which anthropology has had a number of contributions. 
And even modern surgical techniques are being developed based upon understandings of the evolution of the human hand and the evolution of some distinct bone patterns in the human hand. It turns out that not all human hands are the same, and different surgical procedures are needed for different kinds of bone structures. Today, ethnopharmacology, harvesting medicines from the Amazon, has become a hot political topic as people in other parts of the world start to question what right do people in the advanced industrialized nations have to come take our cultural traditions, take our medicines, turn them into a pill and sell them for millions of dollars. And even in ergonomics, physical anthropologists may be involved. When I was in graduate school, one of my fellow graduate students actually had a grant from NASA, the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, to study the conditions of weightlessness. And curiously, what he was using were images of uh, pregnant women and their fetuses, because when you're suspended in the womb, you're basically in a weightless kind of condition. So he was interested in trying to find out what are the so-called natural postures that the human body adopts under conditions of weightlessness. But most of applied anthropology can be seen as a kind of social engineering, an approach to reforming society through understanding something about culture and the problems that groups face. Much of applied anthropology developed as a concern about helping the unfortunate. And in many cases, anthropologists who went to study kinship or family organization or politics or economics in some other culture later came back as a representative of the Agency for International Development or the World Health Organization, trying to help bring the expertise and knowledge of the modern world to people who were less fortunate. Anthropologists bring an understanding of human behavior in systems perspective, the dynamics of cultures that affect what humans do. Anthropologists also acquire skills in cross-cultural relations. How do you enable people of different cultural groups to work more effectively with one another? And how can we use an understanding of social problems and their cultural context to help resolve them? So your reader on applying cultural anthropology looks at many of these areas. Development anthropology, for instance, that is concerned with helping people create viable economic enterprises. Educational anthropology that's concerned with how does culture affect the effectiveness of a uh, educational institution. Since the 1960s, many anthropologists have been engaged in advocacy anthropology, where they may work on public policy, work for a congressman or a senator, work for a think tank, or work for a lobbying organization trying to change laws. Medical anthropology has been the most rapidly growing division within the American Anthropological Association over the last 20 years. And so we will give special attention to how the interaction between culture and health is a significant area of applied anthropology's activities. And we'll look at least briefly at the idea of corporate anthropology. Why is anthropology important in businesses? And it turns out that there are lots of different reasons why anthropology is important to corporations. They say the most important rule in business after speaking your customer's language is adapting to your environment. And businesses need to be well adapted to the environment to be successful. Now, when businesses talk about adapting to the environment, they're not talking about how hot or cold it is or whether it's windy or rainy. They're talking about educational systems 
consumer patterns. They're talking about the distribution of resources in society, the political climate, the religious climate. So businesses need to adjust to cultures on many different grounds. And later on, we'll point out one of the real underlying motivations for bringing anthropologists into corporations. Turns out most American businesses developed during the industrial era, that we have an industrial paradigm as part of the backdrop for most American corporations. Well, it turns out that we're no longer living in the industrial era. We're in what they call the post-industrial society, whatever that ends up meaning. How do you adjust to this new environment? How do we deal with a world that's based more upon information technology than selling widgets? And so corporations today need to update their corporate cultures to not only create a commitment on the part of the employees, but to help make sure that they're well adapted to the environment in which they're functioning. So how does anthropology do this? I'll introduce the idea of two fundamental anthropological methods and an anthropological perspective that we will articulate across this course. One is the idea of ethnography, field work, going and living with the people that you study, hanging out with them, getting what we call the emic perspective, the insider's perspective on behavior. And corporate anthropologists use ethnography. Where do you find out a lot of information? Well, one place you go is you go hang out at the water cooler. People collect around the water cooler and they shoot the breeze. And you find out about things that they'll never say to you if they think you're interviewing them. And even better is you go hang out where they drink. And a couple of glasses of wine and they start talking about things that they would never say to you otherwise. So literally, corporate anthropologists do their work in bars sometimes and get some of the uh, best understandings of what a company's problems are after someone's been loosened up a little bit. Another fundamental approach of anthropology is this notion of ethnology, the comparative approach. We'll talk about these as edict perspectives derived from understanding cross-cultural regularities in human behavior. What's typical of humans everywhere is an important framework for addressing contemporary social problems. When we find that human societies are no longer effectively functioning, it's often because certain ecological or political or economic circumstances have produced changes that bring them out of balance with what is a normal or normative pattern of human behavior. And anthropology has a potential, albeit one that's not fully exploited, to take the biocultural perspective and the interdisciplinary perspective to other aspects of human sciences. Synthesizing more than one perspective is one of the things that anthropology does well. Consequently, there are a number of benefits that come from anthropology's approaches and perspectives. One of these is the concept of holism, the idea that we integrate lots of different kinds of information to produce a bigger picture of what's going on. So one of the things that's characteristics of anthropology's holistic approach is the integration of biological and cultural perspectives. And the interdisciplinary approach, the psychological anthropology and economic anthropology and political anthropology that allows us to tap into what's being discovered in other disciplines and then putting this in a cross-cultural perspective which gives us a richer understanding of human nature. So the biocultural interdisciplinary perspectives allow us to have a better understanding of our evolutionary past and 
the wide range of contemporary conditions under which humans live. Anthropology also brings the perspective and benefit of comparativism. One of the problems with most of the other social sciences is that they study people in just one culture. For instance, most psychologists derive their theories of human behavior from studying freshman and sophomore college students. Now, there's nothing wrong with studying freshman and sophomore college students, but how representative are they of humanity? Does the variation in their behavior reflect the variation that we find around the world? And most anthropologists would say, no, it doesn't. And indeed, many theories that have come out of psychology are probably better understood as the cultural psychology of middle-class Americans rather than something truly universal about human nature. Another thing that comparativism does is it helps induce a kind of tolerance, a decentering. We'll talk about ethno-relativism, understanding ethnic groups relative to their circumstances. In contrast, what we are normally doing is being ethnocentric, viewing the world from our ethnic or culturally centered perspectives. Anthropology can enhance our ability to understand and work with people who are different by giving us a broader understanding of how humans adapt to our biological potentials. Indeed, the adaptations to dealing with others may be one of the most important benefits that comes out of anthropology. We can reduce conflicts with others and enhance our understanding if we know something about culture and the diverse ways in which cultures have adapted to their environments. So understanding cultural diversity is part of understanding ourselves. Most people grow up thinking that they just behave like normal people. And it's only with the anthropological perspectives that we get a fuller understanding of the range of what's normal. And anthropology brings us not only understanding, but certain ethical perspectives. How can we deal with the diverse people of the planet? What's fair in intercultural relations? What's fair in politics? What's fair in economic development? Only by understanding other people's perspectives, these hemic or insider views, can we begin to appreciate what they bring to the table, what they view as being significant factors in human life. And indeed, given that we now live in a global village, these kinds of understandings become crucial for not only individuals, but nations and societies. So in summary, anthropology emphasizes the importance of a biocultural approach in understanding human beings. Without both biology and culture, we have a partial picture. Indeed, without this interdisciplinary perspective and bringing to the anthropological point of view the data from many other disciplines, we would have a much more limited understanding of human nature. So anthropologists provide an enhancement in terms of our understanding of human beings and contribute to an interdisciplinary science of humanity. One of the ways in which we do this is by getting the cultural insider's perspective, the local truth and local realities. And another way in which we do this is through the cross-cultural or comparative approaches that give us a broader and more valid basis for making generalizations about human nature and humanity.